you've no doubt heard or read the scripture, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Or when Jesus said that he and the Father would come in and sup with us, a very intimate kind of an acquaintance, and then Christ will dwell in the heart of the believer by faith. Jesus said, the Spirit is with you and shall be in you. The disciples on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, they were baptized with the Holy Spirit. And in Ephesians, later we're told or commanded to be continually filled with the Spirit and not drunk with wine. So then why are we filled with the Spirit? Is it a personal thrill? There's a lot of people that believe that that is the function and purpose of that. But if you read through the scripture, that couldn't be farther from the truth. Well, then is it power? That's partially true. A lot of people want power, but then they don't want purity. Well, then is it just purity? Well, that's partially true as well. What about then unity in the body? That's one of those other things that's a partial truth. So then why are we supposed to be filled with the Spirit? We, as a people, are filled with the Spirit to be unified with our head, Jesus Christ. Unified with His purpose and with His glory. Hello and welcome to God's Resistance, where we resist sin, self, the devil, and the world. God's resistance is for God's kingdom and for his crown. And a huge part of God's resistance is we need to be effective in doing his mission. So we need to resist sin, self, the devil, and the world as we are fighting under the banner of his kingdom and for his crown. And the most effective way for you and I to do that is by us being absolutely surrendered to Jesus Christ and in being surrendered to him, being filled with his spirit so that he can carry out his purposes in his believers. That's you and I. So in order to do that, today we're going to be looking at John 17, verses 13 through 23. And I would like to move over to that right now. So John 17, 13, we read, And now come I to thee, And these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray that thou shouldest not take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, Jesus says, I sanctify myself that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Verse 21, that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou has sent me. Verse 22, and the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one even as we are one. In the last verse here in our section, I in them and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So that is an incredible section of scripture. And The best thing that any of us can do when we're reading through the scripture is to understand the context of what we're reading so that we're not misapplying the scripture. So here we find, this is called Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, Jesus was praying here for his disciples just before he was arrested, 
tried and eventually killed. And it had come to the time for the father to glorify Jesus Christ. Jesus came here. He knew why he came here. He stuck to his mission for three and a half years. And his own testimony is that he has accomplished this mission. And so he has manifested part of this accomplishing of the mission as we read through this scripture section is that he manifested the father to the disciples. He gave the word of God to the disciples. And now Jesus is praying for them, not just for the disciples that were right there in front of his face, but for all of us. That's you and I. And he recommends his disciples to the keeping power of the spirit of God, the keeping power of God. We're told uh, by Peter, kept by the power of God through faith. Now, after Jesus' uh, ascension, we he was given all authority over all flesh. And he said that with that authority, he would give eternal life to people. And eternal life is um, to know God, as he said, and his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. So that's the context of this particular chapter. That kind of helps us understand what was happening and what Jesus was trying to get after as he was talking with them. Now, I want to give this as an idea here. The disciples, and that's not just them back there, but that's you and I as well. Disciples are in the place of Christ on earth after he ascends. That sounds like a really tall order, doesn't it? Well, we're told that the world hates his disciples because we have God's word. I think we can find that out very easily when we look in the world around us. When you stand for God and when you stand for his truth, the reproach that was on Jesus Christ has now fallen on to those, his followers, and the world hates Jesus Christ because you have found his word and because you walk in his word. And then as a result of that, and you have Jesus as your Lord and you're walking with him, you're not of the world. And just Jesus said, just like I'm not of the world, my disciples are not of the world. And that means we don't have the world's values. We're not, we don't love the things that the world loves, but we love Jesus Christ. Now, also, we are sanctified, Jesus told us, just as Christ sanctified himself. He said he, he sanctified himself for our sakes. So we are set apart for a certain cause. We are pure and holy and right if we are believers in Christ, if we have been uh, if we've wholly surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, if we're filled with the Spirit of God. And then he, Jesus said that the, his disciples, and that includes you and I, and we know it includes you and I because we read in, in verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through those disciples' words that were there in his time. But Jesus said that he sent his disciples into the world just as the Father sent him into the world. Isn't that awesome? That's an amazing thing to know that we're not just here aimlessly. We have a mandate. We're supposed to be doing something here. So in verse 21, we read that they all may be one as thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. So we've established that the disciples here they are in Christ's place here on earth. He's ascended up into heaven. So you and I are the conduits for the Lord Jesus Christ as he sits on his throne to pour his spirit through us and to work through us. That's you and I in this present day. And then he said that there is a oneness that takes place. Now, is this a oneness kind of like some kind of Buddhist idea, some Eastern mysticism? It's not like that. 
But we're told that what it is, is it is a reciprocal abiding. It is that I abide in God and he abides in me, or I abide in Christ and he abides in me. It's a mutual thing. You and I both, uh, I say you and I both, but we and Christ are consenting to abide together. And this mutual abiding is, we're told through Jesus, is between the Father and the Son, but also it's between us as believers and the Godhead. That is the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It's this mutual abiding. We're to be in the same kind of relationship with the Father as Jesus himself was in that relationship with the Father. That is how Jesus is is presenting this to his disciples in this most intimate moment when they're in that upper room. They've had that, that meal together, the Passover meal. And so he's telling them, I was one with the Father and with his purposes, and I am giving you the Holy Spirit so that you can be one with the Father and his purposes. You can be one with me, with my mission of why I even was sent here to save the world from utter destruction, to save the world from sin, and to make a new heaven and a new earth, and to have my kingdom to spread throughout the entire world, and then one day everything be consummated, and everything be a heaven and an earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. The indwelling Christ and our abiding in him then is very essential. You and I aren't just going to do this because we've got head knowledge, because we went to a seminary, because we know our Bible well. We need to know the person of Jesus Christ. He needs to be Lord of our lives. And I'm not saying that so that we get away from the scriptures. We're not to do anything that goes against the scriptures. But what I'm saying is Jesus himself must dwell within. He must have done some radical renovation and the keeping power. We've got to be channels for the Lord Jesus Christ. And with Jesus uh, abiding in us and that being essential, that's the power that the church has to convict the world, to be convicting witnesses to the world of Jesus' righteousness, of his majesty, of his power up on the throne. If this so far has been a help to you, then I ask that you would click the like button, subscribe, share this video with somebody else. And part of iron sharpening iron is that we can comment on the subject, start a discussion down below about the importance of these things. Also, I would have you visit godsresistance.com and look for us on your favorite podcasting platform. Now on to verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. What does he mean by the glory that was given to Christ is supposed to be the glory that's given to us? A man, Steyer, said it this way, Even the slightest glimmering of heavenly light, which begins to shine out of the countenance of a justified publican, is an outbeaming of this glorification, and so is the still brighter angel face of the crowned martyr at his at his trial. Uh, so we're to be one with Christ. This glory is not like a, a deification of humanity, but this glory is that we may be one. Uh, Daniel Whedon, a Methodist commentator, said, for that glory has its source and a spark of divine love in the heart, and that love melts into one its various possessors so that there is one love, one glory, one church. Now, when I say a Methodist theologian, I don't mean United Methodism of today. I mean Methodism when it was more apostolic, when it was around the time of Wesley, and, and obviously Whedon was a little a while past that, but I, I'm not for all of the stuff that's going on in uh, mainstream Methodism right now. Albert Barnes, the famous commentator, he said the, about the glory this way, in feeling, in principle, in purpose, 
uh, evincing as the father and the son had always done the same great aim and plan, not pursuing different interests or counteracting each other's purposes or forming parties, but seeking the same ends by the same means. This is the union between the father and the son. Always in the creation, preservation, and redemption of the world, the father and the son have sought the same object, and this is to be the model of which Christians should act. So this is the, the glory. We're to share in the glory of Jesus Christ. He's won. He, the battle is won, and now he is conquering. True unity does not come through ecumenicism, as some may suppose in our present day, but through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer said it this way one time, if the orchestra was to tune itself to one another's instruments, it would be grossly out of tune when they came all together. But when they have the tuning fork and they hit the tuning fork and every instrument tunes to the tuning fork, then they're in perfect harmony. And that's what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. We're all tuned to the same tuning fork. Let's move on to verse 23. I and them and thou and me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. So we're, we're told here perfect in one, which literally means we're complete to execute the deed in the proper way. So really, without the indwelling Christ in his fullness, we're not incomplete. We're full of holes. We are incomplete if we are an island apart from Christ. We must be swallowed up in his grand and glorious purposes. The world may know that thou hast sent me this way. They know that Christ is still alive because he dwells within the believers and people see that. They know there's something drastically different. There's a power from on high that's within you that's not fabricated. The believers carry out then the mission of Jesus Christ with power and focus as they're filled with the Spirit. A Holy Spirit-empowered military expedition is what the gospel is supposed to be. So the indwelling Christ then is proof of the Father's love to us just as the Father loved the Son himself. So the question then is, dear listener, are you filled with the Spirit of God? It's not for fame. It's not just for power. It's not just for a thrill. It's to be unified with Christ and his purpose to build his kingdom for his kingdom and for his crown. So what are we supposed to do with all this? Well, we need to be filled with the Spirit of God. Are you filled with the Spirit of God, dear listener? I want to challenge you to join the resistance and we'll see you in the next video. Visit godsresistance.com, call 570-362-7782 and visit us in the Wilkes-Barre Public Square Sundays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m.